um, it is good to be united by the Spirit. Uh, the Psalms invite us to enter into God's courts with praise and thanksgiving. Uh, we begin our time together this morning with a posture of gratitude, which I am the first to admit is not always easy, especially when there are hard things in this world that we name. But we can begin with the things around us that we see, the beauty of the earth, the beauty of God's creation, the joy of our friendships and relationships, and the uh, privilege that it is really to gather together as the body of Christ in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I invite you this morning with hearts full of gratitude to stand and let's sing together.
Friends, let's go to God together in prayer this morning. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we gather together in worship this morning, we come before you as your people, called to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And even as we say those things, we know that we often fall short of living by that day by day, that we live as a fallen people in a fallen world. And so today we come before you, O God, praying for churches of all traditions, near and far, that they, that we may discover together our unity in Christ and live as if we are blessed to be a blessing. Forgive us, O God, for the times that we've missed the mark and lead us, please, in the way everlasting. 
We pray today, O oh God, for this earth, our home, that it may be freed from war, from famine, from disease, and that all humans would recognize together our role in caring for and sharing the goods of this earth. Forgive us, O oh God, for the times that we have missed the mark, and lead us, please, in the way everlasting. We pray today, O oh God, for those who govern and lead in our world, for CEOs and for presidents, for kings and for queens, for moms and for dads. We pray for wisdom, for guidance, for protection, and for a deep awareness in all things, that all things are ultimately yours, O oh God. Forgive us for the times that we missed the mark, and lead us, please, in the way everlasting. We pray today also, loving Father, for our nation, for these United States, that our leaders and our people would pursue just priorities, that races would be reconciled, young people educated, elderly cared for, that the hungry would be fed, that the hurting would be helped. Forgive us, O oh God, for the times that we've missed the mark, and lead us, please, in the way everlasting. For places in our world of extreme turmoil, for violence in Afghanistan, for natural disasters around the world, for mean-spiritedness in too many places, real life and in the digital arena, for troops in dangerous places, for politicians stuck in lose-lose situations, and for all who are quick to judge and slow to help. Forgive us, O oh God, for the times that we have missed the mark, and lead us, please, in the way everlasting. We pray today for all people experiencing hardship, for those mourning the loss of loved ones, for those facing significant health concerns, for those who keep their struggles secret. We confess the times that we do not seek your kingdom first. We confess the times that we do not love our neighbors. We confess the times that we take your love for us for granted. Forgive us, O oh God, for the times that we've missed the mark, and lead us, please, in the way everlasting. Most merciful God, as a potter fashions a vessel of humble clay, you are forming us into new creations. So shape us, please, day by day, through the cross of your Son, Jesus Christ, until we pray as continually as we breathe and, and until all our acts are prayers. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and in the mystery of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
may be seated. Well, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Glad to be with you together for worship this morning. We learned last week, if you were with us outdoors, that sometimes you know it's a real good service if you're sweating by the end of it. And that was true last week. You may also notice it's a little warmer in this place today, and that is because we are seeking to have a safe air environment to the extent that we are able so a bunch of outside air is being pumped in. The air conditioning is not broken, but it's part of our life in a pandemic that it's a little warmer because it's super sticky outside. It's a little stickier inside here than maybe normal. Uh, but again, that's also the fresh air being pumped into this place. You may notice also behind me on each side is uh, a set of flowers that are in memory of people in our congregation. I would simply mention those. These are from Joan Buck's funeral that was just this past Friday. Uh, celebration of her life. On this side, we have a set of flowers in memory of Les Van Hecken, we remember as well. And then also, not in our bulletin, uh, but we're mindful and extending sympathies to Jan Alderink at the loss of her mom that took place this weekend as well. These are some of the concerns that we list in our bulletin on the back side there and send out to our community, and we intend to keep each other in prayer alongside all of the many things that we just brought before God in prayer a few moments ago. My name is Ross Dealman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, and together it is our mission to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Whether you've been in that with us for a long, long time or whether you are just beginning to get familiar with this place and maybe showing up for the first times, we're glad for all of you to join us in that mission we have these new things. I forgot to bring one up front, but a connection card in particular, if you are new to this community uh, and would like to make yourself known, we would love to know you. And that's a way uh, to get your name and your address and ways for us to be in touch. Uh, it'd be wonderful uh, to welcome you deeper into our life together, particularly if you're new. So find those at the Welcome Center on the way out or one of our greeters uh, on the way in. Another way, of course, is recognizing that uh, September 15 will be the first of Wednesday nights that we've had in a while, a chance to come together and share a meal and to have uh, opportunities for all ages to belong, grow, and serve together. We're looking forward to that beginning September 15. Then also a few details for this day in particular, as there are two things coming up. Uh, very soon. One is a beyond-the-walls experience, a, a prayer walk uh, for upcoming uh, partnerships with our schools nearby, and so that will be immediately after the second service meeting at the Bell, just outside that entrance, about 11.30. Please join there if you'd like to join in on that prayer walk. And then later tonight, back inside the walls will be uh, a hymn sing, 6.30, and then also an ice cream social afterwards. So a full day in our life together, you're welcome for both. I would like to invite forward someone who, as I mentioned, a mission statement that we've had together for a while, someone who's been living it in our midst for uh, quite a while. This is Karen Donker, very likely a familiar face to you. And Karen is celebrating this summer 20 years of service here at Fellowship. And we bless God. Hmm for her good work among us, and she is one of those who has especially championed the work that is beyond these walls, if you will, reaching out to the schools, 
Kids Hope, Hand to Hand, the Christmas Hope Store, and many other good things that you serve alongside Karen, and she helps coordinate for us. I'm mindful that we live in a culture nowadays where we, uh, we, we seek out short-term commitments, try to keep options open, and then there are folks like Karen who remind us that a deep investment in something good for a long term is a great way to spend a life. And we give you thanks for that and, uh, and for the blessings that you have been here and beyond. Pastor Nate's going to come up here with a little something to share. We uh, are so grateful, Karen, uh, for the ways in which you have served, uh, not just uh, up front in front of people, but maybe more so uh, behind the scenes, uh, Mm -hmm. stewarding and giving uh, care to so many people in our congregation, uh, but also to so, so many students and kids in our community. So on behalf of the HR team, we would like to present you with a little gift and to say thank you for your service for 20 years. Would you mind opening the big one and then you can open the card later? How about that? Because this is kind of a cool thing. Uh, you can mm. just rip it. We don't really care, you know. Yeah, that's right. Just have at it. Be like a four-year-old at Christmas, you know. It's a bull from the Holland Bull Mill. But one of the things that's unique about the bull, it's actually made of spalded beechwood. Spalding is the process for a beech tree that uh, changes and makes all these changes in color over time. As the tree has fallen, the wood changes. It doesn't just dry out, the colors change. Uh, And so we thought this would be a great reminder to you uh, for how the longevity of your time here at Fellowship Church has made this a more beautiful place. And so we give God thanks uh, for Karen Donker and the gifts that she has brought to Fellowship Church. Can we one more time say thank you to Karen? Is there anything you'd like to say, Karen? Yeah. <laughs> I am really humbled and honored to be serving you during mm. this past 20 years mm. and to be doing this all for God. Mm. Um, everything good that has come out of Hand to Hand and God, uh, Hand to Hand and Kids Hope, is all due to God's hand. Mm. And you guys have been His hands and feet here. So mm. it's just. An honor for me to be a part of it and to watch you and get to know all of you because you are so, so special. And I thank you. Thank you. Karen, so thanks again. Yeah. There will be cookies. After each service, there'll be cookies out there to celebrate Karen. And what she just did is what she seems to always do, isn't it? She deflects the light onto others, and that is part of her great gift uh, to us and uh, to our community. I actually have this, so thanks. I'm going to just keep whatever this is now, Karen. It's great. Just kidding. Hey, at this time, I want to invite our kids to be dismissed. Uh, if they're here or out in the atrium, you can go find uh, Miss Betsy, ages 3 to 7, to join in continued worship and discipleship uh, in your age-appropriate ways as we move forward. And to remember together, at this moment in our worship service, we also call to mind this practice we have of giving back to God, stuff that's God's in the first place, our tithes and offerings. We do that in the sanctuary or we do it online, and we do that as an act of allegiance to God 
believing that Jesus was right when he said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we are grateful to be able to join together uh, and to give generously to the ministry and the missions of Fellowship Church and other things. So let's continue in worship with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. And as we turn to the point in the service where we hear God's word spoken and preached, uh, this next song is just a reminder that we are rooted in who God is. And so I'd invite you to sing along if you uh, are familiar with it or if you feel comfortable, or just to receive this as a gift and hear the words and let them kind of soak into your heart as your own prayer.
Well, the Lord be with you. This morning, we have the opportunity to not just hear the Word, but I guess we always have this opportunity, ultimately, uh, but we will hear and experience the Word a little differently this morning, uh, being read uh, by a few readers in just a moment. But before they do that, let us uh, pray and ask God's Spirit to be with us. Come, Holy Spirit, come, we pray. Dwell with us. Settle our hearts, open our minds, clear our thoughts, that we might hear a word from you. We know that that can only be done uh, by your Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Amen. People of God, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love, Ruth chapter 1, the entire chapter together as a reader theater. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malone and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they, after they had lived there about ten years, both Malone and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them in Judah, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you. To your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud, Again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women, women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had a surprise visitor at our house, a favorite friend of ours. Uh, his name was Leo Wen. He was our international student for three years while he was in high school at Holland Christian, and now he's entering into his senior year at Vanderbilt. Seeing Leo reminded me, though, of uh, something that we came to appreciate or hmm, see the challenge in in being an international student, and that is that we as a people use a lot of idioms. You know what an idiom is. It's a, a phrase that has a different meaning than its literal meaning. Like, uh, this service is just uh, going like a piece of cake, you might say. Or, I am happy as a clam. Or, I'd like to pass the buck of this responsibility off to Ross. Or, my personal favorite when the sun begins to set, it's time for me to hit the hay. One I haven't really understood its origins of, uh, but I use quite often, actually, is tough sledding. I think of the de when I think of the definition of tough sledding, I think of Naomi's life. The first verse locates Naomi's story in the time, or in the grand scheme of scriptures. It was during the time of Judges a time when there was a lack of faithful leadership, and it was summarized in Judges 17.6 in saying that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No one could tell anybody what to do, you might say, which led to a time of pervasive immorality and a lack of true justice. And the book culminates in a really gross and gruesome and horrific story when some men take advantage of a woman in a seriously inappropriate way, if you know what I mean. It's the very same thing that many women fear in Afghanistan today. All that to say is it was a brutal time in Israel's history, especially for women living in the patriarchal society that it was. It was tough sledding for Naomi because she was a woman in the time of Judges. On top of that, she lived during a famine in Israel. I, I, the Great Depression, I was not here for that, but I understand that it was a really difficult time, but I believe it pales in comparison to the desperation of living through a famine. It wasn't just bad food or a lack of any good options. It was no food at all, which led to Naomi and her husband doing what desperate people do packing up everything that they have and putting it on their shoulder 
and making a trek out of town. Naomi and, husband, Naomi and her husband became refugees in a foreign land. No one wants to become a refugee. You resort to it out of survival. Traversing around the Dead Sea and along the King's Highway for some 40 miles, they made their trek to Moab. It was tough sledding for Naomi because she was a woman in, in the time of judges and she was a refugee in, the for in a foreign land. Yes, culturally it was difficult for women and yes, she was living as a foreigner uh, among other foreigners, but she was likely not alone. Other women were certainly living those, in those times and there were certainly other women that were refugees, but her story became a struggle and intensely personal when her husband died in the foreign land. And the emotional trauma of losing a spouse becomes physically exhausting when she realizes that she is the, going to become the primary breadwinner somehow in a patriarchal society. How would her family survive? How would they make it without her husband? It was tough sledding for Naomi because she was a woman in the time of Judges, a refugee in a foreign land, and now she was a widow. And after dealing with the grief of losing her husband for nearly a decade, things get even worse. Grief strikes yet again, and she loses her best promise, her best hope for a better life when not one but both of her sons dies. A woman, a refugee, a widow, and now a grieving parent. We get why many scholars consider Naomi the female version of Job. All she knows is pain and sadness. Naomi's life is the definition of tough sledding. Her life is no upbeat. If her life were to be a play, it wouldn't be a comedy. It's a tragedy. No upbeat song is made of her life. Her life is a country downer, not a come-from-behind Cinderella story type of football game. Her life is a mercy-ruled loss. To use another idiom, Naomi is Heartbroken. Heartbroken. Can I ask how your heart is doing this morning? Sure, things aren't as bad as Naomi, but how are you really doing these days? Yeah, we love our Michigan summers and it's fun to be outside in the sun. Yeah, we're grateful for and have many blessings from God. Yeah, we sometimes have those days where we're full of confidence and pride and gratitude. But my suspicion is that we don't have to dig very deep to discover heartbreak in each of our hearts. For below the friendly facades, many of our hearts are fractured. We as individuals and us as a society are longing for wholeness. I've seen it this week even in the fervent prayers of veterans for their fellow troops who are seeking security and even peace in Afghanistan. I see it in the weary face of kind saints who have lost so many family and friends, even in the past month. I see it in the determined yet fearful eye of those who are fighting cancer and holding on to hope with everything they have. I see it in the eyes of a masked teacher who welcomes their children back into the classrooms with glee, only to wonder underneath if they have the gumption, if they have the strength to get through another year like this. 
I see it in the anger of a parent who would choose violence over dialogue for a school stance on mask. I see it in the fear and frustration of a parent for their vulnerable child living through a pandemic. My friends, we as individuals and as a society are heartbroken. And it's evident in the way that we are treating one another. And in the words of our friend and pastor Marlon Viss a couple weeks ago, I believe we can do better. This morning, I'd like to look at Naomi's response to her heartbreak through uh, her tough sledding life, through a, a paradigm, you might say, for how we often deal with heartbreak. If you've been following along, we've been reading from Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong. And in it, she talks about how when we are triggered by shame or heartbreak, we often resort to three emotional responses, to fight, to flight, or to freeze. I think we see those same characteristics, those same three responses in Naomi in the story that we just heard from. So I'm going to look at fight, flight, and freeze, but I'm going to change the order up a little bit, and we're going to start with flight, and then go to freeze, and then go to fight. Naomi's first response, you might have noticed, is flight. She literally leaves Moab, and for good reason. She's a foreigner in Moab and hears of, that there's no longer a famine in her homeland of Bethlehem. But her primary motivation to leave is not to go to Bethlehem as much as it is to get away from Moab. She was seeking to physically flee, but also emotionally take flight. She longed to leave behind the painful losses she had incurred in that foreign land. She longed to leave behind the graves of her husband and her boys. She longed to leave behind the memory of how her life that was oh so full became oh so empty. Flight. It might be our most innate response, our innate reaction to heartbreak, to avoid, to flee, to ignore, both physically and emotionally as well. What's it look like for you to take flight from your heartache? Maybe you, like many families that I know and even my own, take down pictures of memories of people that we used to be in relationship with or memory, pictures that remind us of people that have passed away. Maybe you seek to escape uh, from your current reality through shopping by buying things that you think you want so that you might experience a little bit of control in your life. Maybe you escape reality by taking a few extra drinks at night so that you don't have to t focus on the pain of a stressful day or a taxing relationship. Maybe you flee relationally by dismissing someone as other or wrong and boil in resentment for them so that you don't have to have the hard conversation with them. Maybe you escape reality by living in a different virtual world, taking that one wrong click to avoid the pain of your current reality. Naomi took flight both physically and emotionally. She tried to outrun her grief. And I guess my first question for us this morning is what are we running from? Or maybe even more relevant, who are you running from today? 
Naomi also froze, you might say. We see Naomi literally freeze on her way back from, Bethlehem, or from Moab to Bethlehem, but more, she emotionally freezes herself out of connection with others. On their way back to Bethlehem, she stops uh, her daughters-in-laws and uh, asks them to leave. Turn back, she says. Why are you coming with me? I'm, I'm an old woman. I can't help you. Do you think I can get pregnant? Do you think I can provide sons for you anymore? No, it's better for you to go back to your homeland in Moab. Then you have a chance. I mean, I am miserable. If we're all, if I, if, if, there's no reason for all three of us to be miserable. You go home. Maybe you have a chance at happiness back there. I think we see in this reaction of uh, Naomi uh, the freeze tendency, which is to isolate ourselves from other people and, and maybe more importantly or maybe more fittingly, to seek the pleasure of someone else rather than focusing on our own heartache or pain. So my question for Naomi froze. She ignored her pain and heartache by focusing on the needs of others and seeking isolation over community. Whose needs are you focusing on rather than attending to your own heartache, pain, or shame? Lastly, and most visibly, I would argue, Naomi fights. Naomi gets angry. Hannah's too gentle to express that anger when she was reading uh, from Naomi this morning, but she is lashing out in frustration towards God. Not only does she bash God's activity in that little exchange with Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, but she also does it in front of the whole town. The town was in a stir, the text says, because Naomi's coming home, the welcome banner's coming up, the food is being set out, but Naomi comes back and everybody puts that stuff away as soon as possible because Naomi is bitter. My name is not Naomi, which means pleasant. My name is Mara, which means bitter, because I am bitter, I am mad. God has taken advantage of me. God has done all of these bad things to me. In this anger, we see Naomi's broken heart. We see our innate response to pain is often to fight. I should say that Naomi's response to fighting against God is not an unreasonable thing. In fact, God is big enough to handle our anger as well. He, she's in good company. All Many, many psalms pray uh, and ask and plead with and even get angry with God. But she seeks to bring her anger to the whole community, not just to God. If I'm honest, this is often my too subtle and usually internal response to heartache, to get angry. I was reminded of how easily I can be triggered into anger. Just a couple weeks ago, I uh, went to visit some of uh, our good friends at Fellowship, Nate and Connie Dreyer. Connie was uh, recovering from hip surgery, and I was going to head over to the hospital to say a little prayer for healing uh, for her after she had done her, uh, had her surgery. We had some daycare issues, it was still the summertime, and so I took my son Elias with me to the hospital uh, to go and pray, something that I have done in the past, but certainly not uh, recently. 
when we came through the doors of the hospital, I was greeted by the person that takes your uh, temperature if you've been to the hospital recently, and she said, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm a pastor. I'm here to visit with uh, one of my parishioners. Uh, she's just right upstairs. I'm going to say a little prayer with her. Well, what's he doing here? Uh, this is my son. His name is Elias. You know, we're both masked up, willing to get the thermostat, and the hospital says, he's not allowed to come in here. He's not 16. I'm like, well, what if he was having a heart? No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I I'm thinking through this. I'm like, okay, he's not 16. I get that. That's a rule. That's fine. Um, you know, there's a bench right there. It's hot outside. It's sunny. I don't really want to leave him in the car. Can I just leave him on this bench for, I mean, I promise it'll be like five, ten minutes. It's just in the lobby. He's wearing a mask. He's, he's safe. He'll keep his distance. Uh, no. Uh, just for a few minutes, could you please just let them sit, let them sit here? Well, let me make a phone call. So she calls up to the, uh, her boss and asks her boss and asks a couple questions. You can see him dialoguing for a little bit, and then she hangs up the phone, and she looks at me, and she's, he's got to go. Now, I could tell you what was going on in my head, or I could tell you what I actually did, but what was going on in my head was, can you, what, what are you thinking? Do you want this kid to be admitted to the hospital because you won't let him sit here on the bench? I was filled with rage. But instead, my son, who is much more slow to anger than me, said, it's all right, Dad, I'll go sit in the car. So we walk out to the car, and I drop him off. Uh, I come in, and I couldn't help myself but say something a little under comment with, filled with my anger, and I said, you know, I thought the Holland Hospital was a family-friendly place. <laughs> Which was not the right thing to say. <laughs> but I leaked a little bit. And it was a good reminder to me, to be honest, like this, incurrent, this uh, uh, situation or story was a good reminder to me of how quick I am to get angry, to put on the boxing gloves and lay it out and fight. I think this is a significant challenge for us and our society today. We are so quick to pick up the boxing gloves, to say the underhand comment, to boil with resentment inside, to use another idiom. We seem to be on thin ice when it comes to anger. I've seen it in the last week in our communities fight over the efficacy of mass at the Ottawa County Commissioner's meeting that went on for hours as parent after parent after parent lambasted our commissioners. I see it in the school boards when the people are picketing outside of the lines. I see it when I talked to a superintendent yesterday who is nervous and lamenting that he has school starting on Wednesday because he's not sure what's going to happen when parents come and force their kids into school not wearing masks. I see it in the rhetoric that our media uses to denigrate and dismiss, dismiss anyone who takes a different position than us. I see it in our own families, in the ways in which politics or dyna family dynamics tear us apart. And to be honest, the part that hurts me the most is that I sometimes even see it in our churches and in the big church, not just fellowship, but churches across our nation. We're fighting the same way everyone else fights. We're putting on gloves, we're boxing, we're fighting, we're getting angry. We can do better. Naomi's fight response 
in the form of anger comes so natural to us as well. And the unique characteristic about fight versus flight or freeze is that fight invites company. Fight looks for other soldiers to battle on with. We can do better. Naomi exemplifies in Ruth 1 the all too common responses we have to heartbreak, to fight, to flight, or to freeze. And I hope that you see in Naomi not the bad person in our story, but a familiar colleague in dealing with heartbreak, shame, and hurt. But this book, this story is not about Naomi. This is a book entitled Ruth, and we read from Ruth chapter 1. If we see in Naomi our natural response, broken as it may be to heartbreak, we see in Ruth's response Christ-like love and faithfulness. A word that is repeated throughout the story is hesed. It's a Hebrew word, and it means relational love and covenant loyalty and faithfulness and kindness and goodness and mercy and compassion. There's not one word in our English language that encompasses all that is when you use the word hesed. But I believe Ruth exhibits hesed to Naomi. Amidst her heartbreak, amidst her response to that heartbreak in the form of fight, flight, or freeze, Ruth stands by her. Ruth stays with Naomi and professes one of the most beautiful anthems of allegiance that you can think of. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. Hesed is not just an emotive reality of love and connection. It's rooted in concrete action, in companionship, no matter the cost, both emotionally and physically. Ruth's Hesed to Naomi is the great anecdote to heartbreak because it is rooted in God's great hesed for us. Ruth commits to Naomi when she is at her absolute worst. Ruth commits to her when she least deserves it. Ruth commits to her even when Naomi pushes her away. It is in Ruth that we see God, God's hesed, that we see in Jesus Christ, I believe, is our only cure for, this, for society today. And God's hesed, God's binding love, God's covenantal faithfulness is the mending answered, answer to our fractured hearts as well. When you find yourself fleeing from pain and emotional connection, God's hesed is with you. When you find yourself frozen in loneliness, appeasing to others rather than attending to your own heartbreak, God's hesed is with you. When you find yourself ready to fight, easily triggered by the inconvenience of, inconveniences of life, God's hesed is with you. When the sledding gets tough, when your heart is broken, when you're at the end of the rope, your rope with no one left to pass the buck to, God's hesed is with you. May we be a people who receive God's hesed and share it with others. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.
friends, in our response this morning, I invite you to stand and we'll sing together the words of an old hymn that has actually been reset to new tune that you are familiar with, I believe. <laughs> Let's stand and sing together. My friends, the, uh, no matter what the heartache that you are experiencing right now, God's hesed is with you. May we be a people that share God's hesed with this hurt and broken and angry world. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.